Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, November 10, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black Matt Norlander is here with me. And the big news of the weekend involves one of the biggest names in the sport, the presumptive number one overall pick of the 2020 NBA Draft, Memphis freshman James Wiseman. The NCAA, as you probably heard, has informed Memphis that James Wiseman is, quote, likely ineligible. Among other things, the school announced Friday that Wiseman was going to be withheld from competition based on a rule interpretation issued by the NCAA, this all being tied to Penny Hardaway providing the Wiseman family with approximately $11,500 for what the university called, quote, moving expenses. That's back when Wiseman moved from Nashville to Memphis in 2017. At the time, Penny Hardaway was the coach at East High School in Memphis. Wiseman, he ultimately enrolled at East High School in Memphis. And this would be a possible NCAA issue regardless of the specifics. But what makes it an undeniable NCAA issue is that in 2017, Penny Hardaway was a Memphis booster, according to the way the NCAA defines such things. So what we have here, if you just strip all the details away, is a Memphis booster providing a sizable amount of money to a five-star prospect's mother to get the family to move to Memphis. And then that five-star prospect uh, enrolled at the University of Memphis. There's just no logical way to argue that's not against NCAA rules in Memphis again was prepared to withhold James Wiseman from competition um, as early as Friday afternoon. That's where we were. Wiseman on the verge of being held out of games. But then, later Friday afternoon, Wiseman and his attorney, Leslie Bowen, went to court and got a temporary restraining order, and Memphis then decided to allow Wiseman to play in Friday night's game against Illinois Chicago. And for what it's worth, Penny Hardaway is on record. He has said James Wiseman will continue to play next against Oregon in Portland on Tuesday night. Now, some have suggested that the temporary restraining order forced Memphis to play Wiseman. That's just not true. No court can force a school or a coach to play a player, even one as good as James Wiseman. Memphis simply opted to play James Wiseman, for better or worse. It's a bold move for many reasons. It could lead to the Tigers' first two games and any other games Wiseman plays in being vacated, it could also lead to bigger NCAA issues because in the NCAA's eyes, Memphis is right now knowingly using a player it has been told is, quote, likely ineligible. So there's a lot to unpack here, obviously, but let's just start right here, Norlander. What do you think of Memphis's decision to play James Wiseman under these circumstances? Because it is definitely not how schools typically handle these types of situations. I love Memphis's decision to play him because it makes for a fascinating standoff here. I hate Memphis's decision to play him because my issue with this story, Parrish, is the institutions that have failed James Wiseman and how he is likely to be on the wrong end of this and essentially serving as you know, the only victim of this, perhaps the Memphis program at large, you know, not having James Wiseman at some point uh, in perpetuity for the remainder of the season, if we get to that point, uh, it's final four hopes certainly take a, a massive hit. But but why, it's Wiseman who is trying to um, become the number one pick in the 2020 NBA draft to be able to play uh, for his adopted hometown. And here's my problem. And take this where you may take it. Okay. Penny Hardaway becomes a booster uh, 12 years ago when the his alma mater opts to build a Hall of Fame wing in his name, and he is obviously you know a, a key part of that. I get all that, okay? Now, when that ha- my my issue is intention here. When that happens, um, 
Penny Hardaway becomes a booster. James Wiseman is – there's no even real thought that he'll ever play college basketball at that point, obviously. He's like seven, eight years old. So then Penny Hardaway eventually gets into the coaching business, and it's been well-documented in many places as to why he became a coach. It's actually a very inspirational, earnest kind of story uh, at the grassroots level and at the high school level. Then James Wiseman develops into a number one type prospect in his class while playing on the other side of the not the other side of the state, but while playing in Nashville. Okay, so the family is moved from Nashville to Memphis for a number of reasons. You can be cynical about it, and I would encourage that. Uh, but one of them, uh, apparently, because Wiseman's own sister uh, attends the University of Memphis, so Penny Hardaway agrees to help pay the moving fees. Uh, as a side note. Um, uh, it does not cost $11,000 to move all your stuff from one place to another. That is an, an exorbitant amount of money, and I'm sure the particular details as to Penny Hardaway providing that money and what it really went to aside for moving, I'm sure those have been talked about at length, and I would assume receipts have been provided. Perhaps they haven't. Perhaps that's a major sticking point with this case uh, because that is a significant amount of money. Uh, we are told that James Wiseman is not privy to any of this information. Now, the NCAA fights against this by saying it doesn't matter, because, and we've talked about you know these kind of situations overall, these overarching situations, the Silvio de Sosa case, specifically at Kansas. He was going to be sat for two years for not knowing what was happening, and the NCAA reduced it to just basically essentially one season. That's why he's available at Kansas now. But regardless, <clears throat> when that even happens in 2017, Penny Hardaway is not even a candidate for the Memphis job. Tubby Smith is coaching. Penny Hardaway is coaching high school in Tennessee. The issue I have with the NCAA ruling the way it's ruled here is the circumstances that surrounded all of this, I think, are unfairly putting James Wiseman's eligibility. Um, I don't even know if I want to say up for debate, Parrish, because in the eyes of the NCAA, it's not up for debate. In fact, to give you an idea of how pissed off the NCAA is, in the middle of Memphis's game on Friday night, and what a crazy night that was, Parrish was in the studio for CBS Sports Network. It says, the University of Memphis was notified that James Wiseman is likely ineligible. The university chose to play him and ultimately is responsible for ensuring its student-athletes are eligible to play. That's not a common move by the NCAA. In the midst of these cases, the organization's general stance is that it has no statement on ongoing cases. So whomever cleared that is obviously really ticked off that Wiseman and his legal representation, who for my – he's Leslie Ballin. I know it's Ballin. F that. <laughs> he's, he's Leslie Ballin, and he is incredible. And I hope he can get this turned around for Wiseman in the right way. I understand the way the rules are written. I have a problem with all of these circumstances affecting Wiseman the way they have, and I have an issue with Penny and what he may or may not have told Memphis, what Memphis may or may not have known, because here's the other deal. Because this became an issue in the state of Tennessee, and I'm kind of speaking back at this with Parrish. Parrish knows all of this, obviously. He's, he's talked about it for two years on his radio show. The details of this exact thing were known to the point where Wiseman actually went to the court to get a restraining order to get him eligible in the first place at the high school level. So... What I need to know from the NCAA standpoint is when this, when Wiseman was apparently cleared in May of 2019, when he still had the option to play wherever he wanted, most notably Kentucky if he was not going to play at Memphis, 
Why was he cleared? What did the NCAA know? What did it not know? Because here's my deal. If the NCAA knew all of this, if it knew all of this and cleared him, and then someone came back in late October and said, oopsie, are bad, or oh, by the way, we might have just missed this one dangling thread, uh-uh, no takebacks. Wiseman should not be suspended over this. If all of the details have been provided, and I have to, I lean, Parrish, I lean to believe that they have, given that they went through this at the high school level. That Penny Hardaway, given who he is, when Memphis brought him in, when they knew his connections to all of these different kinds of players, I cannot believe there would be so much unaccountability, laziness, oversight on this matter. I have to believe all of this stuff was disclosed. If it wasn't, to be clear, if this was not disclosed, if Penny Hardaway knew of this and did not tell his employer, then there's a real case against Wiseman as much as it sucks. But I am I am opting to believe that all of this stuff was known and provided first to Memphis and then theoretically to the NCAA who cannot be so stupid not to have realized that the number one player in his class did not have this benefit provided to him. That's why I've got the problem. If you told so, me, I'm, so I'm glad you took. Yeah, I'm glad you took it there, um, because this is still a point of confusion uh, as it relates to this specific case. Because if you read the lawsuit that James Wiseman has filed, and certainly talk to people who are arguing that side of it, what they will tell you is that the NCAA cleared it, and then they just decided to rule him ineligible. It just you know, no new information. They just changed their mind, and that may be true. I, at least I can't tell you it's not true. But what I can tell you is it's definitely not the way Memphis explained the situation when it released a statement Friday night. I don't know if you saw that, but the statement the university released reads this way. After a joint standard eligibility review by the university and the NCAA, as is common for all high-profile incoming student-athletes, James Wiseman was declared eligible by the NCAA in May 2019. However, based on information that necessitated a deeper investigation, the university began to work alongside the NCAA in investigating the matter. After several months of interviews and after a review of documentation, it was determined that in the summer of 2017, while Wiseman was a high school student and prospective student athlete, Penny Hardaway provided $11,500 in moving expenses to assist the Wiseman family in their relocation to Memphis, unbeknownst to Wiseman. End of statement. So, again, the, the, the lawsuit suggests that the NCAA changed its mind. But... The university statement doesn't suggest that at all. What the NCAA statement said, I mean, what, what Memphis's statement says is, uh, listen, we did the initial eligibility review. Everything was cool. He was eligible. But then, based on information that necessitated a deeper investigation. So after this happened, there was information that necessitated a deeper investigation. And we worked on that. And then after several months of interviews and after a review of documentation, it was determined that the summer of two, that in the summer of 2017, uh, Penny Hardaway provided $11,500 in moving expenses to assist the Wiseman family. So the the theory that the NCAA ruled him eligible and then ruled him elig ineligible without any new information totally contradicts what Memphis's statement was Friday night. And what also con Memphis has done in contradicting itself is saying that it it, it was working in concert with the NCAA, and now it clearly has become an adversarial agent to the NCAA, okay? When you have 
independent representation, I get that, Mr. Ballin, but for my purposes, Mr. Ballin, going and getting a temporary restraining order. Who knows if that'll even last in time for the game against Oregon. I honestly don't know. We're obviously recording this Sunday night. I'll be interested to see if this story progresses in any significant way in the next 24 hours. Um, but Memphis d- doesn't have to play him. Obviously, Penny is going to want to play him. And he said he's going to play him. As long as the injunction holds, James Wiseman is going to play. But even Parrish, if if that information was not provided or discovered, here's here's what's crazy to me is I was talking with uh, a couple people on Friday night as this was all going down. I guess I wrongfully assumed that on the NCAA and on the Memphis side, the reality that Penny Hardaway would have assisted James Wiseman from getting from one part of the state to the other when he was not the Memphis coach, this was borderline common knowledge, just accepted as fact, okay? And you would have thought... That when Penny got the gig, Wiseman commits to Memphis, they go through this process, all of that stuff gets gets taken care of. Like, if particularly if you're Penny Hardaway, who you are, what you mean to that city. There, I even saw that it was pointed out that although the relationship exists so far back that it, uh, it, it predates, you know, being a recruitable student athlete, Alex Lomax on the team as well has benefited from uh, the philanthropy of Penny Hardaway and, and more power to him for that. I guess I'm a bit gobsmacked that it would have ever even have gotten to this point. If, if it never reached a point where it was known Penny Hardaway provided Wiseman's family with financial assistance to move them, and who knows what else the money went for, but to move them from one part of the state to another, this has got to be cleared up way, way, way long ago. And so now I think what you have, I believe I, Penny's going to sue the NCAA. I mean, Penny. Uh, James Wiseman's going to sue the NCAA. Could also opt to sue Memphis, depending on how this all winds up going. It's uh, it's a hell of a showdown on what was on Friday, in particular, kind of a historic day in that Ohio State's Chase Young, who might be the number one pick in the NFL draft, and now James Wiseman, who might be the number one pick. They both face suspensions from that uh, from the NCAA on that end. I I really hate it for the kid here, Parrish. I don't know if he really know or didn't. That's the that's the thing is you can like can you ever really know what's in a kid's mind? It, given the circumstances that surround all of this, I don't know. But I lean toward he should be given some sort of benefit of the doubt. And if you want to say, I don't know if they're going to come to this or not, but like have some sort of agreement. Hey, you know what, James? Maybe it won't be a year's worth of eligibility, but we're going to sit you 15 games. I'd even be okay with that. Where do you come out on Wiseman not knowing this conflict that we have, the rule book, the way it stands, and trying to blend those concepts with the fact that Penny Hardaway, 12 years ago, for a one-time donation, became a booster way, way, way before anyone even thought about Penny Hardaway even possibly remotely being the kind of guy who would coach a Division One college basketball program. Right. Well, um, first, I-, I will, I'll, I won't argue against the idea that James Wiseman did not know this happened. I mean, when you were 16 years old, did you know where your parents' money was coming from? No, sure. I, I didn't. And so I genuinely believe James Wiseman didn't know what his mother was doing. Same way I genuinely believe Silvio DeSosa didn't know what his guardian was doing. Same way I genuinely believe Brian Bowen didn't know what his father was doing. Um, and I've had a lot of uh, people bring up the Cam Newton case and say, hey, listen, what does it matter if his mom did something wrong? If he didn't know anything about it, that's just like Cam Newton. What people, uh, for whatever reason, I guess their Google searches are broken, um, don't seem to understand is that the NCAA changed that rule after Cam Newton because of the Cam Newton situation. And now 
student athletes are held responsible for the actions of their parents or guardians or, 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 or people who are in control in the ways that these people are control. It is why Silvio de Sosa had to pay um, a significant price because of what his guardian did, except I believe $2,500 from uh, an Adidas employee. And it's why um, Brian Bowen never played college basketball at Louisville or anywhere else because his father accepted to was a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand, whatever. A hundred, yeah. The uh, agreement was a hundred, yeah. A hundred thousand um, dollars from from Adidas, and so for the purposes of the NCAA, um, whether James Wiseman knew or not does not matter. It, it's a important part of the story if you want to show sympathy for the young man, um, because it would suck if his one year in college is um, taken away from him because of something he had nothing to do with himself. But, again, the NCAA has changed the rules to, to basically we have to hold somebody accountable. We've talked about this before on the podcast. If you ever make it where um, the student athletes can't be held accountable for their parents or their guardians or their AAU coaches or whomever, sure. well, then, that, that, then that's just a cheat code to recruiting. Right. Hey, hey, just if anybody ever asks, you don't know what happened, right. and then we'll be good. So the NCAA changed the rules, I think, for – for, for good reason. Um, so I, I, I do believe James Wiseman didn't know. I, I don't think that that's a, a relevant point to whether or not he should be punished or not, at least according to current NCAA uh, rules. I, I will say that um, my understanding of this is that you're exactly right. I talked to an athletic director today who said the first thing you have to do when you hire Penny Hardaway is set him down and say, which of these players that you have relationships with are you going to recruit? And what do we need to know? What have you done with for them? What is their relationship? You know, tried to get all of this out on the table. You bring up Alex Lomax. Let me explain that real quick. Pity and Alex Lomax had a pre-existing relationship. They've known each other since well before Alex was a recruitable student athlete. So that's why he could do for Alex Lomax without issue in ways that he can't do for James Wiseman without issue because – uh, the relationship between Penny Hardaway and the Wiseman family is rooted in nothing but basketball. And after Wiseman became not only a recruitable student athlete, but an undeniable five-star prospect. Right. So that's the difference there. So this athletic director said, the first thing you have to do when you hire Penny Hardaway is sit him down and, and get all this out on the table and then figure out, ooh, oh, this is going to be a problem. Can we work through it? Is there a way to work through it? If not, we're just going to have to 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 not – you know, recruit him like that. But yeah. all of this should have, in theory, been handled a long time ago. And yet I, I my understanding is that did not happen. There was no such conversation between Penny Hardaway and the Memphis administration. I, I, I perish, so, I, perish. How the F does that happen? I'll tell you. Hon- honestly, I'll, though, that is that is that makes me legitimately angry for for James Wiseman if the, if that is actually how that went down because it's 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 borderline impossible to see how the Memphis athletic department could be that lackluster at its own job to one I guess trust the word of Penny Hardaway you have to do your own work on the back end go ahead here's how it happens um, you have to understand Memphis and I know most people listening don't because you didn't you're not from here you're not here but the truth is. That basketball program and its fan base had been beaten down, and its administration had been beaten down so badly that they didn't care. They were just so giddy to have enthusiasm and energy again and to have a coach who was about to secure a commitment 
from the number one player in America. The truth is, I don't think they asked the questions because I don't think they wanted to know the answers. Part of hiring Penny Hardaway was that he was bringing James Wiseman with him. And so the athletic director I talked to today said it is bonkers that that conversation didn't happen probably even before you hire Penny Hardaway. Um, But the truth is, uh, my understanding is that conversation did not happen. I mentioned earlier that the way Memphis is now handling this runs counter to the way most schools would handle it. Because what most schools in Memphis' situation would do right now is rule James Wiseman ineligible and then apply for reinstatement. And it's impossible to know what the punishment would actually be. But something like repay the $11,500, like make an $11,500 donation to charity and maybe like a nine-game suspension – um, it, like it, it, that could it could be it could be something like that. It could be more. It could be less. But it could be something like that. My understanding is that Memphis wanted to. I don't want to say negotiate with the NCAA on this, but they wanted to talk through it on the front end and and to basically say, tell us what is going to happen. You know, tell us what the punishment is, and then we'll decide what we're going to do. And the NCAA wouldn't go down that path with them. Like, we're not going to negotiate. Like, you can rule him ineligible, and then we will start the process. It's not unlike what the NCAA did with Kansas. They said, label TJ Gasnola a booster, rule Silvio DeSouza ineligible, and then we will start the reinstatement process. And then Kansas did it, and that's how they got DeSouza back. But he ended up missing, like, an entire year or whatever. Um, On this one, I'm told that Memphis just wanted an answer from the NCAA. Like, hey, if it's four games— then we'll just we'll just call it a day. We'll sit in four games, and then we're fine. But if it's going to be 13 games, then to hell with you. We'll fight you on it. And the NCAA wouldn't say. And so then they did get to a point where they were going to, by their own admission, hold him out of games. And my understanding is James Wiseman and Leslie Ballin came to them and said, we want to fight this. And I, I think the university can encourage him not to, but they can't make him not do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a he's a a, a a civilian. He can file a lawsuit against the NCAA and the University of Memphis if he wants to. And so they've decided that they're and then and then and this is the play. I can't say no other school would do this, but I don't know many other schools that would do this, especially so early in the season. They just decided they're going to play him. They didn't have to play him because of the restraining order. They could have still just set him on the bench. They decided to play him, and now they have put their first two games. In, in jeopardy of someday being vacated. Little different than the situation with DeAndre Ayton at Arizona a couple years back and Javante Smart at LSU uh, last season. Because I've had some people ask me, well, you know, Arizona, like once the reports come out, whether they were good reports or bad reports, there was reason to believe maybe Arizona was playing an ineligible player, but they just said, to hell with it, we're going to keep playing DeAndre Ayton. Same thing with Javante Smart. You know, after the wiretap comes out or the uh, uh, transcript of it, LSU had reason to believe they were maybe playing an ineligible player, but they just said to hell with it, we're going to play him. The difference there is this, those things happened late in the season. And so if you're going to ultimately get hammered by the NCAA for DeAndre Ayton and Javante Smart, they had already participated so much that there was really nothing you could do about it at that point. So you just play him and whatever. With Wiseman, Memphis was informed before its first game that this is an issue, and yet they decided to, to play him. And now it appears what they're going to do, and it's going to be fascinating. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm actually glad they're doing it because <laughs> yes. it is incredible content. They've just said, we're going to play James Wiseman. And if you want to someday, 
because they'll tie this up in the courts. And James Wiseman will be off to the end. I would assume, unless Memphis and the NCAA reach some sort of agreement, which seems not impossible but unlikely, I would assume that, and I'm not just assuming off the top of my head, this is from talking to people who understand these types of things. The assumption is this would get tied up in the courts and not be resolved before James Wiseman is already off to the NBA. So unresolved throughout the season. And what Memphis appears willing to do is just say, you know what? You can tell us he's likely ineligible, but you can't prevent us from playing him. It's not like you're going to send a cop down from Indianapolis to handcuff James Wiseman and take him off the court. So we're going to play him every game. And if you want to send us a notice of allegation someday it, um, that's, that says we played an ineligible player and here's why we did it, then we'll, we'll, we'll respond. I think we get 60 days after that. So we'll respond to it. And then we'll go through the same um, you know, in, enforcement process that Kansas is going through right now and that other schools go through all the time. And then if ultimately the worst case scenario happens, which is we have to vacate whatever happens in the season, you know what? Been there. So what? Most of our great seasons have been vacated at the University of Memphis anyway, most notably 1985 and 2008. So whatever. We have dreamed about this season for a long, long time, and we're just going to play it. And we're going to have fun, and we're going to win games, and James Wiseman's going to dunk on everybody. And if you want to go through the formal process of making us vacate it someday, we'll deal with that when we have to deal with that. But it won't happen between now and April. And between now and April, we're going to ball out. That seems to be the approach. And I talked to an athletic director again today, and I said, how many other schools would do this? And he said, I don't think any. (laughs) I mean, like, Ohio State is sitting out the number one football prospect in America um, because they're not going to – once they are notified you've got an eligibility issue, they just said, well, then we're not going to mess with it. That's the way schools almost always handle it. And Memphis has just decided, um, you know, either um, brilliantly or foolishly, that they are going to continue to play a likely ineligible player, and if the NCAA wants to vacate it um, someday, fine, but they won't be able to stop us from having the experiences. That's where we're at on this. Uh, To me, it was the most Memphis thing maybe of all time on the basketball side when this news breaks uh, Friday at about 6 o'clock. I'm in the middle of like trying to feed my kids dinner. I was I was actually not even next to my phone for about 20 minutes. So when this – I didn't even know this happened happened and, uh, until about 20 minutes after it all went down. And then I re- – so I'm like checking Twitter and then I'm like – then I see the report that an hour before the tip, you've apparently got Mr. Ballin – <laughs> and Mr. Wiseman in a courtroom in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, I don't care if it's two blocks away. In some ways, that makes me even love the story all the more if the courtroom is within walking distance of the <laughs> arena. But you literally have those two trying to get an injunction, a restraining order against the NCAA to make this happen. I think that is just an unreal, unbelievable detail. And, yeah, uh, as a minor, 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 minor side note, it was UIC, which wasn't even at full strength. No Tarkus Ferguson on the floor for the Flames. And you're going to play James anyway. They opted to do that. Um, that was stunning and an absolute marathon kind of night. And trust me, Parrish and I, if we could have given you an emergency pod, we would have. He was in, in studio all night, had to write and then travel stuff. So trust us, you know, when there are big stories going ahead this, this season, if, uh, you know, when we can, we will give you an emergency pod. And maybe in a normal circumstance, uh, it might have been just me, but I resisted even going there because this specific story 
you have to have Parrish on that podcast. But just so you know, with there's big stuff. We you know we're going to give you pods as soon as possible. But this was a weird one in that it was a heavy Memphis connection, and the details were actually changing by the hour. But for those that were looking for it, trust me, we want to get this stuff to you asap. Parrish, here's my thoughts on this. Additional ones, then we can wrap it up if you want. One, um, I don't know what the NCAA rule book empowers the organization to do in real time with this. You mentioned Memphis is just going to say, F you, we're going to play them. And to me, that's a that's just a, a completely fascinating plot to the season to what I thought was already the most interesting team in college basketball. But can the NCAA, which does not have – I mean, it's got a, it's got a, um, a chief of officials, uh, but can it tell – uh, can a conference tell its officials before a game starts – if you play, what number is Wiseman? Five? 32? No. I don't know either. I'm, but it's I'm been like two games. Numbers. I never knew I that. I think I'm totally guessing. I'm saying 32 off the top of my head. Um, if you play him, we're not officiating this game, and it's an automatic forfeit. I don't even know if that's allowed, but if this thing gets that absurd <laughs> where you have the officials that have been ordered to, to do that, or <clears throat> do we get to a situation where – that doesn't happen. Wiseman plays in the games. Bill has said on television during the Washington-Baylor uh, game that there is uh, rule 13.19, I believe, um, allows the NCAA to enact uh, strong punishments if a university does exactly what Memphis has done here. And to be fair, I don't even know if it's technically not Memphis. It's Wiseman and his legal representatives. But if you go and try and get an injunction and a restraining order and – it's proven that what you got it over it, you're still guilty of, then you can be administered postseason bans. Now, what we ha- what remains to be seen here, Parrish, this is the big what if to me. Can the NCAA this very season act on this case in real time to the point that it tries to ban Memphis for, uh, for uh, acting in such a, like subordination? Or will we have a situation where... Let's just say Wiseman plays nine games. This thing falls through the floor. They they bend to the will. He's suspended the rest of the season. They go on. They have a good team. Will the selection committee regard the first nine games as losses, not regard them whatsoever? It's actually kind of kind of fascinating to see how this will go because there are, it seems to me there are still so many ways in which it could go, and I don't know how the NCAA can and will act I think we'd both be rooting for Wiseman to just to keep playing and th- have this resolved uh, afterward and, and whatever comes may come. But I get the sense that this is going to get noisier and potentially more problematic for the Memphis players this season, which, of course, also sucks because these dudes don't deserve any of this. Right. And I had somebody tell me that, you know, they went to the Memphis players because it, it is true that by playing James Wiseman, like, because on one hand, people are, are applauding the university for standing beside James Wiseman and willing to fight for James Wiseman. Um, the other side of that is that it could cost your other student athletes opportunities that otherwise would exist, right? Because um, it is unclear if the NCAA could act in real time, although when I talk to people about it, and when I say people, I mean college administrators, college coaches, compliance folks, th- those are... Those are the people I've been talking to for the past few days. Um, what they feel like is is the NCAA cannot just rip James Wiseman off the court. They would have to um, 
you know, they, 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 can heavily, they can strongly advise you need to get them off the court. We're telling you this is a problem. And almost always um, schools comply. You know, like, um, and, and by the way, like, Memphis fans, and bless them, because the 2008 Final Four being uh, vacated is ridiculous for the reasons that it was. They didn't deserve that. The school didn't deserve that. But this is something different, and this isn't even really a gray area. It is someone who is clearly defined as a Memphis booster, providing a significant amount of money to a five-star prospect to get him to move to Memphis, and then that player enrolled at the University of Memphis. I mean, like, that's just not allowed. I'm sorry. I, I hate the rules as much as anybody. I'd love to change them, but given that these are the rules, that's not allowed. My point is that, you know, when something like this typically goes down, um, the schools just, they say, okay, we, we got it. We, we're not going to risk playing an ineligible player because we know what that could cause us. So, you know, and Memphis fans are like, well, this is only happening to us. Well, do you forget Billy Preston? Right. Silvio DeSosa? Josh Selby? That's Kansas. That's a blue blood program yeah. that had to deal with a similar thing. You want another one? How about Ennis Cantor? Kentucky. Yeah. You want another one? Ohio State he- football right now over a girlfriend's plane tickets, apparently. Right. Uh, 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 North Carolina, P.J. Hairston, Syracuse, Fab Mello, mm-hmm. Louisville, Brian Bowen. So I know for some Memphis fans, it might feel like it's just you. But I just named you Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Syracuse, Louisville, arguably five of the best 10 basketball programs of the past two decades. And they've all had to deal with similar issues where a uh, an eligibility issue arises and they have to remove key players from the court or in the case of Ennis Cantor and Billy Preston, never even actually play them. So this isn't unique to Memphis. Um, this is this is it, it happens to again. I just listed you the schools that have also had to 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 deal with this. Um, and so, I, you know, when I talk to people about it, they don't seem to think the NCAA can do anything right now. If Memphis is just going to flip, like, this is not usually the way this goes down. Usually the NCAA says, we got a problem. You don't need to play this person or else. And the school says, okay, let's get this sorted out. Well, Memphis is just saying, we're, we don't care. We're going to play. And we, you can sort it out. And so my understanding is that, the the next step for the NCAA, first off, you got to fight this in federal court probably, but the step after that from a NCAA perspective is you actually have to send a notice of allegations to Memphis yeah. and say that in the 2019-20 season, you used a ineligible player, and here is why, and here's what happened, just like the Derrick Rose thing. And then Memphis will say, I, I believe you have once you get a notice of allegations, first you have to get a letter of inquiry, Yep. Then you get the notice of allegations. Then after that, I believe you get like 60 days to respond to the notice of allegations. Yeah. So, so you, Memphis could, from a timing perspective, just push this deep into 2020, and James Wiseman probably plays all season. And then if they are found to be guilty of what the NCAA believes happened, and again, here's the other thing. Memphis isn't even denying that it happened. Which, They're just yes. saying it shouldn't matter. Yes. Memphis is not. Nobody denies that this actually went down. And, you know, you can argue that, well, that shouldn't be against the rules. And, and maybe I would agree with you. But it, it, it is against the rules, given, that the, given the rules that are in place. And so it's, it's fascinating. Like, my initial reaction was, it's crazy for them to play him, and they shouldn't do it. My current reaction is, 
yeah, it's still crazy for them to play him, but I'm glad they're doing it. And what they seem willing to do is, on some level, I know they're not hoping for this, but this is what they're this is probably what they're doing. They are just decided we are going to enjoy watching James Wiseman be in a Memphis Tigers uniform for a season. And we're going to enjoy these wins because they're going to, in real time, they will be wins. And we're going to be ranked and we're going to be awesome. And if we are punished for this later on, then we'll deal with that punishment later on. Like if we have to take a postseason ban a couple of years from now and vacate everything that happens this season, yeah. then that's, that, that'll be the cost we'll pay. And we'll pay it later, but we're not going to take this young man off of the court um, just to try to avoid issues in this season. We're going to enjoy the season. It, it's, again, I asked a college coach today I was talking with and an athletic director I was talking with, how many other schools would handle this this way? And I was told, I, I, can't, I can't imagine any other, any other school. And there is one other point I want to make. You, you made the point accurately that in 2017, like this is well before Penny Hardaway was a college coach. And so the point some Memphis fans have also made is that, and, and, and James Wiseman's lawyers as well, is that you know at the time this arrangement happened and Penny Hardaway paid these moving expenses, James Wiseman did not know Penny Hardaway was going to be a college coach someday. And Penny Hardaway had no idea he was going to be able to maybe coach James Wiseman in college. And I guess that's technically true. But I will say, it wasn't outlandish in the summer of 2017 to think that Penny Hardaway could soon be the Memphis coach. Cubby Smith was coming off a terrible first year. The Lawson brothers had transferred. Markel Crawford had transferred. Recruiting sucked. It was clear the team was going to be bad. And I don't know what Penny Hardaway thought was possible or what James Wiseman thought was possible. But I can tell you I did radio shows back then that said, you have to fire Tubby Smith and hire Penny Hardaway. You have to do it after Tubby Smith's second season, the season that was about to start. And do you want to know when I was listing all the reasons to do it? You want to know the number one reason I said you have to do it now? To get James, James Wiseman. Wiseman. Yeah. I said, the reason you have to do it after Tubby's second year is because James Wiseman will still be on the market. And then you get Penny Hardaway at Memphis, and then he brings James Wiseman to Memphis. If you wait till after Tubby's third year, James Wiseman will by then already be signed to play at the University of Kentucky. So if you're going to fire Tubby Smith after three, you might as well already, and you were going to, you might as well already go ahead and fire him after two and hire Penny Hardaway. Why? Because he can bring the number one player in the country with him. So, yes, you're connecting some dots, but you could reasonably argue that, no, Penny Hardaway did not pay approximately $11,500 to get James Wiseman to go to the University of Memphis. He did that to get him to go to East High School. But once he was at East High School, he used him as a um, tool to help him get the Memphis job. Because I promise you, when Penny sat down with the Memphis administration, one of the first things he told them is, I can bring these kids. James Wiseman, DJ Jeffries, the other kids that I have relationships with. And so if you want to argue what happened did not actually result in James Wiseman ending up at the University of Memphis, fine. But I think you'd be foolish to pretend that it, it, didn't, it didn't play a role on some level. It helped, it helped James Wiseman being at East High School helped Penny Hardaway get the University of Memphis job when he did. That's undeniable in my eyes. Um, I don't have much to add. We're going almost 40 minutes deep on here on a, on a conversation and a topic that definitely deserves that amount of time there. I'll just say uh, Memphis is basically going the George Costanza route. It's, it's taking the uh, World Series trophy and dragging it around the parking lot right now. It does not give an F. I am totally, 
totally ready for this story every single day for the rest of the season if it lasts. I guess we just wait and see on what the NCAA can or will do within this own season. And if it's nothing, then yeah, what we will have here is a precedent-setting case and story in which the NCAA goes to a university, says, we strongly advise you not playing this player. The university says, F off, we're going to do it anyway. Let the chips fall where they may. We'll see how good Memphis is or isn't. And in real time, we have a university acting on a belief that essentially everyone else outside the NCAA and, oh, by the way, plenty within the NCAA already recognize and realize is effectively a borderline meaningless punishment, and that is the vacation of games. If Memphis says, we're going to do this, we know you're going to take these off the record books anyway, we don't care, we want to live it, we want to experience it, we want to have these players, we want the city to do this, take it away from us, that's fine. You ban us from the 21 or 22 NCAA tournament or postseason, that's fine, we're doing this now. To me, that is bold, and I am so, I am, Parrish, I am so here for it. I, I'm here for it, too. It's, it's amazing. And, and let me bottom line the whole thing with this, and then we'll move on. Um, because of the position I've taken on this very specific issue, um, I, you can imagine it's not the most popular stance um, in, in the city of Memphis because um, the Memphis media is – if you think I it, – it it's actually hilarious because I know people listening to this who aren't from Memphis think, like, I love Memphis and all I want to do is talk about Memphis and love Memphis. Inside of Memphis, there is a contingent of the fan base, and they're just, like they, – they don't live in reality, but, like, they exist. They're real people with Twitter accounts who think that I'm, uh, I'm being an NCAA shield and I should be screaming free James Wiseman and that um, – yeah, and that that I should be fighting for James Wise. And here's the truth. I have been incredibly consistent on these issues for years. And consistent in this way. I hate the NCAA rules. I think it's crazy that James Wiseman's mother can't accept money for whatever reason anybody wants to give it to her. The idea that these young people and their families are held to standards that no other families are held to is insane to me i hate the rules i wish they would change tomorrow if you put me in charge i'd change them tomorrow i have written these columns and screamed these things for years and years and years but the other thing i've always also consistently said is dumb rules are still rules and dumb laws are still laws and just because i disagree that the street right outside of my neighborhood shouldn't have a uh, speed limit of 25 it should actually be 55 doesn't mean i can just drive 55 and then say yeah but that's a stupid speed limit like if i get pulled over there's a price to pay and ncaa rules are similar i hate the rules i think they're rooted in such a wrong place but as long as the rules are in place you have to either a follow them or b don't get caught not following them and here by their own admission we have a person defined as a memphis booster paying a significant amount of money to a five-star prospect to get him to move to a city and then that five-star prospect enrolled at the school for which that person is a booster again you can hate the rules but there's no getting around that that's that's an ncaa uh, violation and so i've been consistent on this with silvio de sosa i never said free silvio de sosa um because i didn't understand how Kansas should be allowed without punishment to benefit 
from a player that was bought for them. And same thing with Enos Cantor at Kentucky way back when. There was a free Enos Cantor movement. I was never a part of that because I didn't understand how Kentucky should be allowed to use a professional basketball player. And so I hate the rules, but when the rules are in place, I, you know, if you break them, there's, there, there is almost always a price to pay. And unfortunately, the person who appears to maybe have to pay this one will be somebody who is by all accounts an awesome young man and, um, and a school someday that really just wants to enjoy fun basketball again because it's been a long time since they've had fun basketball. So I, I'm not pro NCAA on this, but I don't know how you can intelligently argue that there shouldn't be a punishment in some form um, for what went down, the specifics of the situation connected to to, to James Wiseman and, and Penny Hardaway. And unless unless you just want to say nobody should ever be punished for anything, like if that's your stance, that no, even when people break the rules, there should be no punishment for anything. I, I guess you could make that argument, but I don't really ever hear anybody make that argument. It's like the, the rules should be changed, but these are the rules, and if you break them, you should be punished. I just don't know how you get around that with the Memphis James Wiseman situation. Yeah, well, there is Memphis is not the only preseason top ten level team whose uh, near future with its best player is uh, is in doubt. There is a, a you know a less notable story, but arguably maybe as important of one for a particular team. We're going to get to that right after this. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. It's tough news for Seton Hall this weekend. Miles Powell, after scoring 27 points in the season opener, he left Seton Hall's second game in just the fifth minute. He has an ankle injury. First team preseason of All-American, according to us at CBS Sports, and Kevin Willard suggested the ankle injury is serious. Almost certainly won't play Thursday against Michigan State. How big of a bummer is this, Norlander? Uh, it's, no, it's a significant bummer. Um, one, uh, because Seton Hall without Miles Powell – um, still a very good team. I still think potentially top three, maybe still in the Big East. Um, definitely still top five level team in the Big East. Um, but, you know, how how severe is it? I mean, are we talking 
to a level severe where, you know, two obviously plays in the game over the weekend for Alabama. They lose nonetheless. But if you watch that game, and football is not basketball, I get all that. But when it comes to ankle sprains and this of the high ankle variety, you can be sitting out for three weeks. It might need really a, a month or a month plus to get all the way back. And when you are a point guard, you are relying on, on both of your ankles um, – in, in many more ways and much more consistently going up and down the floor, going in different directions than a, a quarterback which can maintain um, uh, you know, a lesser range of mobility uh, in most situations there. So this is a major bummer. Um, I, hopefully he can get back on the floor sooner than later. This definitely takes – uh, plenty of luster off of the Michigan State Seton Hall game. Um, also have news related to Cassius Winston we'll get to before the podcast is over. Uh, but I still think that Seton Hall, which faces, I'll, I'll remind listeners if you didn't read my piece in the preseason, and I think I mentioned it on a, on a recent podcast there. What's interesting, just from step back and, okay, when's he going to get better? Seton Hall could well have the toughest non-conference schedule of any power conference team. Uh, Michigan State isn't the only one. They, they've got to play. They've got to play Oregon. They're playing in the battle for Atlantis, so that is a loaded field. Have to like, you got to hope that Miles My- Powell is back by December eighth. That's a road game against Iowa State. They got to play at Rutgers, which you know, if you don't have Miles Powell and Rutgers is a little bit better, it's not a gimme. They st- you know, they still have Maryland in the non-conference, so uh, a very tough non-league schedule for the Pirates who could have, I mean, if you told me that a healthy Miles Powell um, was there every single game, it's conceivable easily to me that he would be the most valuable player in the sport this season. So now we just sit and wait. If Is this going to be the kind of thing? I really, really, really hope it's not Parrish because I'm so ready for Seton Hall to have. It's been good in recent seasons, but I'm ready for, you know, this program to be one of the, you know, 15 to 20 in the sport that just is fortunate enough or should be fortunate enough to have its best season in 25-plus years. You know, we get a handful, a grab bag of those kind of teams every year, and now Seton Hall's number should be up. That should be this team this season, but we don't know. And I really hope that Powell doesn't have this kind of issue affecting him the entire season because, yes, the difference between a healthy Miles Powell and a not healthy Miles Powell is the difference between having legitimate or illegitimate Final Four hopes. Yeah, one of the points I made when I wrote about this um, as the lead to Sunday morning's Top 25-1 and one is that, Listen, injuries are a part of the sport. Got it. Um, they suck whenever they happen to anybody. Sure. But, you know, when they happen to an NBA player like Steph Curry right now, or Kevin Durant right now, um, you know, they, they've got next season and the season after that and many seasons to play for the franchises that currently employ them. Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and anybody else who's injured, um, they're, they're, they, they can always return, play for the same team in the same league, provided they're good enough to do it and they have a desire to do it. College basketball is a different deal. When this season started, Miles Powell had a maximum possible 40 games to play. It's now down to 38. And he's not going to get all 38 of them. And that stinks because, I mean, imagine what it must be like to be a, a whatever recruit coming out of high school and then in advance of your senior year find yourself as a preseason first-team All-American for a consensus top 15 team. Like it, it's that you dream about it your whole life, and when it becomes a reality, yeah. I imagine you want to cherish every moment of it. And then suddenly, at least partially, it's ripped away from you. And again, injuries are part of the sport. You know, sometimes there are seniors who get injured um, in February, their senior year, and that's just it. Abruptly, your career is over. Uh, that's worse than this, obviously. But this is this is not good either. Not at all. Um... 
So, you know, wait and see on when the updates are. But when a coach is already willing to, to say on the record that it's not good, um, I mean, I, I'm going to take Willard uh, at his word and, and assume that Powell is out minimally until November 27th, which is the battle for Atlantis. And that's really where you got to hope you get him back because you have such good opportunities there. And those tournaments, as you well know, Parrish, um, they can do so much for your tournament resume, or they can really hold you back depending on when you win, who you get later in the bracket versus who you don't if you lose. Uh, they can really prove pivotal for teams that eventually are fighting to get into the, t uh, the tournament period. Or what normally happens is if you're in a stacked field and you can get two or three wins against high-level opponents and you're fighting for that one, two, one seed, two seed, three seed, that's why it's so um, so critically important there. But we'll wait and see on Powell. And hopefully, I'm not I'm knocking on wood right now. We don't, I, I really hope between the Wiseman stuff and Powell, um, can we can we not lose another top twenty level player in the sport for one reason or another? Like let's just you know, college basketball is already low on legitimate like household names as it is. I prefer not to lose another one here. So hopefully this is the last of it in terms of uh, a string of bad news for player eligibility or health. Um, let's get to some actual basketball stuff. Some nice early wins this weekend for Mike Hopkins, Shaka Smart, Leonard Hamilton, Washington upset number sixteen Baylor on Friday, sixty seven sixty four. Then on Saturday, Texas upset number 23, Purdue, at Purdue, 70-66. And then on Sunday, Florida State, after losing to Pitt in the season opener, um, goes and upsets number six, Florida, at Florida, 63-51. That's a Pitt team, by the way, that beat Florida State, then lost to Nichols State. So, like, try making what? sense of all that. Um, which one of those developments, outcomes, surprised you the most? Florida, okay, so the answer is Florida State, which it shouldn't because this is now six straight wins for the Seminoles over the Gators and Leonard Hamilton. In fact, I saw this right before we brought we started recording, Parrish. Did you, did you see? Shouts to our managing editor, Adi Joseph, who retweeted this into my timeline. I, I admit I was not following Leonard Hamilton before this, but I am strongly considering this now. Someone tweeted a Photoshop photo at Leonard Hamilton – and I don't know what um, I don't know what the original version of this photo is, but it's it's a it's a man holding up his his son, and this Photoshop has Leonard Hamilton's face, and then the baby boy has Mike White's face on it, and <laughs> but it's, and then Leonard Hamilton goes, you know, I don't wear a watch, and the photo has a guy wearing a watch. It's just like such such a stunt fr from the uh, septuagenarian Leonard Hamilton. Very very impressive. That was the most surprising one to me. Now it was a bizarrely bad offensive game for Florida, the, the likes of which I don't know if we'll see again. Like, I don't think that Florida is going to be like this top 20 offense or anything like that. And it has not been, I mean, under Mike White, it has not been an offensive juggernaut, not, e not even close. 51 points at home in the O-Dome. What? And just 5 of 17, uh, excuse me, just 4 of 22 from three-point range, uh, 10 of 28 from two-point range, just a bad, bad uh, outcome overall. So to me, Parrish, that was the most surprising one. But just credit to Shaka Smart. That was Purdue's, what, fifth loss in, like, 50 games at home or something like that. And it was it's one of its three lowest uh, offensive outputs over the previous couple of years. Texas and Shaka Smart bring in Luke Yaklich by way of Michigan. He's only there because John Beeline left for the Cleveland Cavaliers job and now uh, considered really, you know, really one of the rising defensive minds in the game. I would expect him to be a head coach in the next couple of years for sure. Just a big-time win for a Texas program on the road. Mackey Arena, again, love these 
true on-campus environments. We talk about it every single November. We don't have to sing that song again. Washington, though, uh, for them to get the win the way they did, impressive because Baylor should have won the game. And and I think Hop knows that, Mike Hopkins. I think Scott Drew knows that, and it's going to bother him for weeks. Baylor should have won the game, but Washington, which on the whole probably has a little bit more talent. Uh, I'm not even sure it's still the better team, but it got the it got the win there. So credit, uh, just, you know, valuable non-conference victories. So those are the top three. Florida State, as you mentioned, Texas and Washington, although I will note real quick because I had to write about it Friday night. Um, shout out to Utah. I, I don't think people even realize how absurd it is to score 94 more points than your opponent. Utah beat uh, Mississippi Valley State. The Delta Devils, who we talked about actually before we went on HQ <laughs> at the Garden, you because know, we were talking about who we were going to have to sell as a national championship uh, contender, and you go, I'm going to have to go to the Delta Devils, man. I, I, I don't <laughs> well, the, qu- the question was, because we get a, an email from a producer, and they're like, hey, these are the questions. We, so we want to know your answers in advance so they can have graphics ready and all that stuff. And it was like um, – your best value bet for the national championship, and you say whatever that is, and it was like, team you definitely wouldn't take to win the national championship, and I actually went with Mississippi Valley State. <laughs> I just didn't see the Delta Devils being able to do it, and after watching them lose by 94, if we're being honest, I was on the money. There were, there might not be 100 teams that even get to 94. You were on the money. There might not be 100 teams in the sport that get to 94 points themselves in a game. Utah wins 143-49 on Friday night. So that is a new Division One record. So there's there are greater margins of victory uh, for Division One teams in a game, but those margins of victory have come to teams outside the D1 structure. So this is actually the new D1 versus D1 record, 94 points. And uh, the standing record, I saw Pomeroy tweeted out, it, it happened in the mid-'90s. I, I believe it was Tulsa that did it. Um, but, yeah, the Utes, 2-0. That 143 points, by the way, the most in a game uh, by a D1 team versus versus a D1 team since Chris Holtman was at Butler, and he did it with 144 on that team's opening game of the season uh, against the Citadel uh, four years back. So anyway, um, interesting first weekend, but yes, Washington, Texas, Florida State, is um, they, they are the three biggest winners of the weekend, and they, they notched wins that, in my estimation, when they are in the tournament picture come Selection Sunday, like that's worth at least a seed line. All right, uh, now for the important thing. Sure. What do I do with Florida in the top 25 and one? Oh, okay. So we are recording this before Monday's edition, obviously, will be filed. Where did you have them coming into the day? Ninth. Yeah, the, the performance, by the way. All right. I'm going to tell you what you should do, but I'll also say this. I am a – so we, we spent an entire offseason talking ourselves into the, the tiers these kind of teams should be at. Um, Florida – takes a bad loss at home, only scores 51 against a program uh, in Florida State that is in the midst of its best run ever as a program. It's it's just, it's never had it's never had a stretch like this. It's made the past three NCAA tournaments and it's been a three or four seed in two of those, t- uh, two of those times. Uh, Hamilton's got Mike White's number. There's just no denying that. Um, you can, dr- you should drop Florida, but just because Florida lost at home to a Florida State team that lost at Pittsburgh, and that Pittsburgh team subsequently lost at home to Nickel State doesn't mean that we have vastly overrated Florida. Do you follow me? Um, blindly, you had them nine. Bad loss. Still probably going to be good. Don't think they'll have one or two or maybe even any games uh, worse of a shooting performance the entire season. I'd go... 
All right. I don't know how you're going to do all this. I, personally, I would drop Florida to like 20, but I would put Florida State ahead of them. You have to because they both have a loss, and Florida State won at Florida. So I would keep them ranked, but you have to put Florida State ahead of them. Well, then I've got Florida State ranked with a loss to Pitt. <laughs> I, I, mean, I can't do that. That's ridiculous, Norlander. And, and shouts to Pitt. I mean, I love Pitt. I love Jeff Cable, but, like, what are we talking about here? I can't, I can't rank Florida You're State. You're going to drop them entirely? A, I, can, I can't have Florida State with a one-and-one one record with a loss to Pitt, can I? I? Have you ever dropped a team from top ten out of the rankings entirely this early, though? Yes, and here's here's I I got myself twisted into a bad situation a few years back because I started I you know I'm very big on respect the results like believe what you believe um, until there's a reason not to believe it but also respect the results and so I don't remember the exact order of something happened but it was like uh, a, a a good team just took a horrific loss and I was like I can't have that team ranked I, I, it doesn't matter how good I think they're going to be they just took a horrific loss I got to drop them out and then somebody else. Another great team took a horrific loss. And the, so the fans of that first team were like, well, you better hold them to the same standard you held us. So I was like, that's fair. So then I dropped them out too. And then, like, if I remember, the final straw was, like, maybe Duke with Marvin Bagley. They took a bad loss. I think maybe Boston College or something. I don't remember exactly. But then I was like, well, now I'm not going to have Duke in the top 25 and one, even though they're clearly, like, one of the 10 best teams in the country. They just took a bad loss. And so I just had to finally – hit pause, restart, and go, you know what? I messed up. This is crazy. I shouldn't have done this. And now I'm worried I find myself in the same situation. But I don't know how I can justify ranking Florida after it just took a home loss to a team that was 0-1 with a loss to Pitt. All a right. Pitt team that subsequently lost to Nickel State. I get you. Now, here's what I'll say. I think that reacting to a small sample size that harshly, that's a 17 17- Spot drop minimally, 9 to 26, and you're going to put them outside the top 25 and 1. I think that's a little over the top. Um, you know, you worship at the at the temple of Mr. Pomeroy when it comes to a lot of this stuff, when it comes to ranking teams and referencing. I'll note, I mean, Florida was 13 before the game started and is 18 after the result has been put into his system. So, you know, that's just a drop of 5. I would drop them more than that. But if you want to drop them out, that's fine. I just, I happen to believe, I'm going to actually be at the Florida-UConn game a week from today. They play at UConn next Sunday. We'll podcast after I get home and settle from all that stuff. I think Florida will win that game. If you want to take a gamble and say I'm going to drop them out entirely, I'm going to bank on them not winning on the road against maybe a just okay UConn team, you're going to look good. But I think they're going to win that game, and we're going to get to you know near the end of November, and Florida is not going to have lost again and is going to clearly have established itself as a top-20 level team. But if you want to make them work for it, make them work for it. I just think 9-27 to 27 is a bit harsh for a Florida State team that, if anything, was probably too undervalued heading into the season. No, it is harsh. I, I honestly, as we're talking, I don't know. I, I asked you because I was actually interested in what you would say. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Um, but I'll, I'll, I got to figure it out by Monday morning. So I'll figure it out by uh, Monday morning. Um, I said on a previous podcast last week that um, I really appreciated you guys going and subscribing to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast and um, rating it five stars and leaving nice comments. And that I would uh, just to prove to you, I'm actually reading the comments. I'd go in and find one every Sunday to uh, give a special shout out to. And so I went in uh, and I found one 
uh, earlier today. Uh, the gentleman, I'm assuming it's a gentleman, but it could be a, a lady, did not leave, let's assume it's a gentleman, his name, um, but it is JT13212. JT13212. And here's what he wrote with his five-star review. I started listening to this podcast in December of 2014 in a rehabilitation center after spending two months in the hospital dying with pneumonia. What? It's, it's a hell of a start. Since 2014, I have not missed one episode. This is the best college basketball podcast you'll find, and it's not even close. If you like college basketball, this is appointment listening, no questions asked. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to the legendary MF and Tigo and shouts to Chester, South Carolina. That comes from JT13212. We helped a man get through pneumonia, Norlander. That, that's a hell of a start for this little segment here, which I very much encourage. And if you have found yourself uh, having already rated and reviewed, well, we encourage a couple of things. One, see if you can update your review and if it bumps it up or just create uh another review i guess i don't know how these i don't know how the reviews work but yes that is incredible i'm gonna say the man's justin i don't know it's jt i don't know i don't know. i'm gonna say justin well, it's probably it's probably justin timberlake uh yeah or justin thomas uh, i think that's that's entirely possible there although i don't know if justin thomas really uh, we have a record of either of those uh two human beings having uh needed to recover from pneumonia in 2014 but that is that is fantastic and that is setting a high bar going forward we encourage uh, listen, as Parrish very well knows, you know, don't let facts, too many facts get in the way of a really, really good story. But we do encourage general honesty on the reviews there. So uh, if you do have an even better story or an interesting one, by all means, we encourage you leave a five-star uh, rating and, and a review as much as you can. They help uh, bring more prominence to the podcast for the listeners. We so, so, so sincerely appreciate you. When Parrish and I were at champions classic uh certainly ran into a, a, a few people who reminded us how much they like it so thank you so much to keeping uh, this podcast as popular as it is but continue to rate and review uh most notably on apple Podcasts. but i'm very aware of the fact shouts to seth davis who's a spotify listener uh some of you are very dedicated to your specific spot podcast streaming platform so if you have a different one and there's rating and reviews on that by all means just get all the goodwill out there that you possibly can it is sincerely appreciated uh before we get out of here uh I should say our condolences to Michigan State point guard Cassius Winston and his family. Just a tragic event Saturday night. His younger brother, Zachary Winston, was struck and killed by a train. He was also a college basketball player, a sophomore at Albion College. And so, like I said, devastating development. Michigan State, I don't know if you saw it, Norlander, um, held a moment of silence before Sunday night's game. Tom Izzo was in tears. Cassius was in tears. But he did start and play. And at this moment, Michigan State's up 81-43. So they will improve um, uh, to 1-1. One and one. But um, obviously that's not the real story today that is occupying the minds of, of Cassius Winston and the Michigan State basketball program. Um, just, again, sad, sad, awful stuff if you're the praying type. And I know not everybody is, but if you're the praying type, maybe send one in the direction of the Winston family. Without a doubt. Um, Cassius actually, I mean, he made the decision to play. Uh, he, he has a double-double. I mean, uh, we are we are recording this as this game is wrapping up here. And uh, 15 and 10 for him at the last update I saw, which is just remarkable. I will also note um, Cassius's younger, youngest brother, Kai, uh, plays for the same team. Um, Albion. So uh, I feel for that whole family. Uh, I got to speak with both his mother and father um, 
at the Final Four when I did, when I did a, a little bit of a profile piece on Cassius at the end of last season. And it is, I, I mean, I send all of my sympathy to them because uh, I really, I know that the game for so, so many athletes that go through a lot of stuff, getting on the court, inside the lines, whatever sport you may play, can really be the most effective coping mechanism, particularly in the short term. And I hope that that is something that has helped Cassius here. Um, but I, for us who have never played at that kind of level, Parrish, I am never not in awe of when we have these situations and you see a player opt to play so soon after something like this when everyone would completely understand if that player just wanted to step away to be with his family, loved ones, and friends, uh, but instead opts to do it and downright thrives in that kind of situation. So, yes, this it was just a, a terrible, terrible, terrible story, but he is opting to, uh, to continue to play, and we just wish nothing but the best for him and his family and um, – yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a tragedy, and will it will be something that is, uh, you know, with Cassius obviously forever, but particularly in, in this his senior season, Gary, uh, it will be uh, a part of his story that that you know sits right alongside him, uh, no matter what. Obviously, um, everybody, Tom Izzo included, would have understood if he opted not to play. But I will say, um, you mentioned it. Sometimes these, you know, two hours can be an escape, and. Me just watching the game from a distance, obviously on television, certainly seen that way. I mean, pregame, there's video of him, you know, sitting with his brother on the bench in tears, moment of silence, standing with his teammate in tears. As soon as the starting lineups were announced, he was smiling, jumping around, back ready to go. And on the basketball court, same stuff. And so if playing does nothing other than ease his mind for two hours, then um, that's, that's a, you know. I wish he had another game coming up because uh, I imagine when you get off the basketball court and, you know, you have to start thinking full time about reality again. That's not the uh, that's not the most fun thing. Uh, you know, most of us are lucky enough to never leave, lose um, a sibling um, in such a, a, a devastating and abrupt way. Um, so I, I can't imagine what Cassius and, and his family's going through. And like I said, uh, yeah, our thoughts are, are with them. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. Do it at Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.